Thanks, Justin. As we uh, have been going through the Psalms heading into Easter, hopefully you are ready for it and prepared to get into the season with us together. Um, This morning, if you have your Bibles, we will be in Numbers 11, so I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. It's not your typical passage to turn to, maybe. Um, For those of you who may be in your Bible reading plans, uh, you've maybe made it through Numbers, and you're kind of like, there's a lot in there that it's tough to get through. Uh, Regardless, uh, Numbers 11 is where we will be uh, this morning, and uh, we are continuing into the prayers that, um, hopefully, as we pray these together as a body of believers as a church, that they will transform us. Um, And I have to say, it's been um, a great opportunity through this series of Lent to focus back in on discipline. That's kind of been the goal, is uh, we wanted to focus on a discipline again and just kind of say, hey, during the season where we're supposed to be giving things up, what if we added something to? And one of the things we're adding to is the idea of prayer and uh, praying specifically as a church, one united prayer every single week. And so this week we will be mentioning another prayer, and uh, as we head into Easter, just to make you aware, we do have Good Friday service at 7 o'clock, and both of those will be at the high school, so 7 o'clock in the evening for Good Friday, and then Easter service will be at 10 a.m. over at the high school as well, and uh, you don't want to miss those. I think those are probably one of the two of my favorite services we do all year. Those and uh, the Christmas services are always um, amazing, and so you don't want to miss those. Invite family and friends out for those, and we'd be excited to have you over there. This morning, uh, we're going to be hitting kind of a heavy topic, and so hopefully there'll be some application that's helpful to you at the end, hitting such a, a big topic and a heavy topic. But this morning, um, we uh, are going to talk about this idea of sin in our life and the things that we need to correct. And um, the, the truth is, this morning, and if you're like me, uh, we don't correct what we don't see needing correcting. I know that sounds kind of like an obvious thing, but we don't correct what we don't see as needing uh, correction. Uh, If it's not inconveniencing us, then why bother with it? So for instance, uh, my tire, when I got it, they put new tires on a while back and they they left the dealership and they said, you've got an alignment problem on the left wheel. There's a bit of an alignment issue. And so you want to get that checked out. And I left the dealership going, okay, that's fine. And it hasn't been I haven't looked at it since. Okay, so, I mean, it, it's fine. It doesn't really do anything except for when it starts to do the wear thing and the whole thing. It's not really causing me an issue where it's going off the road. And so I'm like, it's not inconveniencing me. So why bother going in for an alignment? The truth is I need an alignment. The truth is it's better for my tire and my truck if I get an alignment, but it's not inconveniencing me. So uh, why bother with it? And I think we kind of live our lives like that sometimes. If it's not an inconvenience, then eh, I can, I can live with it. Um, and I think we only really deal with something when it causes a problem, such as our health, right? I mean, we, if we're healthy, we don't really worry about two th- things too much. But if there's a health issue, it's an inconvenience for us. Then we feel like, man, I got to get this addressed because this is inconveniencing me. I've got this uh, thing since I'm uh, running the, like a pull back on my back. And I'm like, that normally wouldn't be an issue. But now that it's an issue and it inconveniences me, then I get it addressed. But had it not been an issue, I don't bother with it. And the same is probably true for you. The other thing is uh, true for you and maybe true for uh, all of us is that we only hate something that threatens what we like. We only hate something that threatens what we love. We only hate something that threatens what is causing discomfort in us. And so I don't like the fact that my tire needs an alignment. I don't like the fact that my body aches. And and I don't like it, and I kind of start to disdain it because it's threatening my way of life. It's threatening my conveniences 
and in a really serious tone, it could be something that threatens the things we love. And we, we don't really hate it until it's a threat. We don't get angry at it until it costs us something, and we don't get angry at it until it's honestly sometimes too late. And I think the truth of that is when we look at our sins in our life, the things that we commit that are against God and His will, the things that we call sin, the truth is we don't get angry at sin until it costs us something. We don't get angry at sin until it's too late, and we don't get angry at at sin until it's a threat to something we value. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, something that the, the Israelites valued, and then cause them to not repent, but sin even more. And it's going to be a really interesting story as we kind of talk about that this morning. But we don't get angry at sin until probably sometimes it's too late. And until this morning, here's kind of the big thing, until we see that sin as a threat, my fear is that we will try and domesticate it much like an exotic pet. And we, we kind of just tolerate it. We, we just kind of put it in the corner. We, we don't really want to deal with it because it's not that big of a deal. In an article by Eric Raymond, he says this. He says, do you hate sin? Do you hate what sin is doing? And he says, every tear, every ounce of pain comes from sin. It fuels every hearse, which is an interesting statement. And the fact that we live in a broken world and sin is part of death. And every time we see that hearse go by, we realize we're in a broken, fallen world. And sin is part of that brokenness. It fuels every hearse. Every grieving widow wails because of its might. Sin provokes every wail of hurt. Every bit of shame is sourced in sin. Every regret and burn mark upon the soul is the handiwork of sin. Every biting word is loaded with a sting of sin. Every prideful thought is concocted under the conveyor belt of sin. Every bit of injustice is deputized by general sin. Every betrayed heart aches because sin has made its presence known. Every bit of corruption is a footprint of sin. Every bit of neglect demonstrates sin's attention. It's all sin. And he says, sin is the greatest evil on this planet. Will you not hate it as well? The Apostle Paul even says this about it in this idea of sin and hating it. He says this in Romans chapter 7, verses 23 to 24. I see in my members another law. And here's an interesting term. I see it in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He says this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This morning, as we talk about the impact and the, and the, the brutal nature of sin, here's where we're going to go for the morning. The big prayer is this, that God would help us identify sin and then help us kill it in us. So that's our big prayer. God, would you identify the sin in my life and help me kill it on a regular basis? What we're going to be talking about this morning is not um, steps. So just keep that in mind. We're not looking like just a self-help kind of, these are good steps to take. What we're talking about this morning are habits to put into your life to become a normal, natural way of living. So when you pray, God, help us identify sin and kill it in us, that's not just like, I'm going to make that step in commitment this week. That's a habit that if you do that on a daily basis, if you get up every morning and you start to make that part of your habit, God, would you identify the sins that I'm believing and kill it in me? Those will transform us. Because we're going to see in Numbers 11 how to identify sin. We're going to see the damage of sin. And we're going to see then how to attack it with Christ's example later. So we're going to look at identifying sin, see its damage, and how we attack it. And again, if you look in steps, unfortunately, if we think in steps, we can think, well, identify it. And then step two is uh, I see its damage. And then step three is I work on it. 
It could be in your life that you see its damage far before you identify it. So don't think these steps, these are just habits to put into our life. I think more often than not, we see the damage of our sin before we're even able able to put a name to it, if you're honest, right? If you're like me, I can do far more damage with my words than I can ever imagine. And then I look back later, I'm like, oh my word, that's, that's the sin. I was just selfish or I was just angry in that moment and it caused me to sin. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Numbers 11 is where we will be. We're going to be starting in verse 4 to 6, and we're going to read through some passages together. So Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, he says this, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, mm, the melons, yeah, the leeks, eh, the onions, mm, and the garlic. Mm, who doesn't love garlic? But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. This, this, this passage is in a context of Israel where they've fled out of Egypt. They've not been living somewhat long, but not too long in the desert. And this rabble are, are, is an interesting word, right? We don't really talk much about, oh, those rabble at work. They're just, you know, it doesn't translate sometimes. So rabble, it, it was basically this. It was the Egyptians who fled with the Israelites into the desert when the Israelites fled from Egypt. So they're not Israelites. They're Egyptians who fled with the Israelites, and now they're living in the desert and they start remembering all the good things that were in Egypt. And they start to have this, what verse 4 calls, a strong craving, a tava, a desire, a, a, a strong craving enough. The same word is used in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when it says that Eve had a desire for the fruit. That's the exact same word that is used here, that they had a strong desire. And what was their desire for? It's interesting. It's kind of funny. Their desire was not like, we want the plush life. Their desire was, hey, remember when we ate fish? That was awesome. I just miss a good fish. And then I love that he says, we ate it in Egypt that cost nothing. We're going to come back to that. It didn't really cost them nothing. And then they start to remember all the things they used to eat in Egypt. And I find this really funny. They're like, remember the cucumbers? Oh, man. If I, could, I have never once <laughs> woken up in the middle of the day, or in the middle of the day, in the, middle, in the morning and said, you know what I would love is a good cucumber. I've never said that in my entire life. Or a melon, right? Maybe a melon, you know, in, in the morning maybe. But not often do I think, man, if I could just get a melon, that would be awesome. A leek, right? You know where the leek is? Has anybody even had a leek before? Not like, like in your boat, but a leek, yeah. Really? Huh. Are they good? I don't even know. Okay. All right, there you go. Uh, a leek and an onion, right? And who, who wouldn't just love to just bite into a good onion every once in a while? Like, man, uh, you would. Um, and so it's just kind of like, it's just kind of like, ah, oh, I just really love the onions. And then, ah, oh, man, if I could just, the garlic. And so I think of combining all of these into one meal, and you're kind of like, man, what did their breath smell like after a melon, a leek, and an onion, and toss it off with some garlic? That would just be ridiculously awesome. Uh, and so they're craving all of these things. But here's, here's the interesting thing. They say that it was a desire, and, and here's what sin does. First thing is that sin has an insatiable appetite for more. Isn't it true? There is never enough with any sin in your life. There's not a point where you're like, ah, I've sinned enough. I'm good for the rest of my life with sin. It always wants more. It is an insatiable appetite. And when they're in the desert, and when they're dried out, they're like, man, I just really crave the things we had in Egypt. 
And then they say in verse 5, that he says, remember the fish that cost us nothing. Here's the other thing I find really interesting about sin. It says we ate it in Egypt that cost us nothing. That's not true. <laughs> Maybe some of the Egyptians did because they lived there. But most of the Israelites, it didn't cost them nothing. They were slaves. And they were rationed food. And so for them to say it cost us nothing isn't really true. But when they're in the middle of the desert, they, they draw that lie back so much, they kind of start to convince themselves of something. And here's what I know about you and I know about me. When we hear sin, the truth is sin is self-deceiving, is it not? I mean, it's just, we can talk ourselves into a lot of different things. So when I was in high school, uh, there was uh, a, a lot that my brother did in, in, in sports, and he had his letterman jacket. And uh, there was times in high school where somebody would say, do you play sports? And I'm like, yeah, I play football, and, and uh, I, I sometimes play basketball. And uh, yeah, I've played, I've played sports in high school, which is a lie, because I've played sports not on any official team. I played them on the playground at recess <laughs> in elementary school. I played them with my friends in high school. I played football, pickup football in my neighborhood. I played pickup basketball all the time. But when somebody asks you, did you play sports in high school? And I say, yeah, I played sports in high school. They're like, oh, cool, cool. And then you just leave it at that. And you're like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Where's your Letterman jacket? I don't, I, I, I don't really, I didn't, yeah, it's fine, right? And then what happens is if you, if you tell the lie enough, you start to believe your own press. Isn't that true? Like if you, if you listen to sin long enough, it's self-deceiving so that when you think back to the days in high school, they're like, did you play? And you're like, oh yeah, I told, wait, no, did I? Did I play? Maybe I played. There's certain things that just, if you repeat them enough, they become self-deceiving and you start to believe your own lies. They started to believe their own lies that Egypt was better, the best life they ever had in their entire life, and nothing could have been further from the truth. And you know that as well as I do. There are certain sins in our lives today that you have believed the same thing over and over and over again. It's not really hurting anybody. It's not a big deal. It's not really that big of a deal. It's not that kind of a sin. It's, it's an easy one. And we kind of work ourselves into the self-deceiving mentality when it comes to our sins. He says, and then in verse 6, But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Not even to eat. It's interesting. There's nothing but this manna to look at. Here's, here's the thing. He says, then in seven verses Uh, 7 through 9, he explains what the manna is. In other words, they've been in the desert, and that's all they've been eating is manna. And he says, now the manna was this coriander seed, and its appearance was that of benelium. And the people went up, went about, and gathered it, and ground it into hand mills, and beat it to mortars, and boiled it in pots, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked in oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. So the Bible then describes kind of what they've been eating. It's this kind of resin kind of thing that just kind of, they get enough of it, they pack it together and make cakes and they put some, uh, they bake it with oil and it kind of tastes just kind of like, um, I don't even know, maybe closer to a rice cake kind of thing, but it really wasn't even that much flavor to it. But it was enough to sustain them for what they needed to do. And so they start remembering all these things, and then they start complaining to Moses. And they start bringing all of their, their requests, not only among themselves, it starts within the rabble, and then it spreads to the Israelites, and then they all get really ticked off because they're not able to eat leeks and onions anymore. And so then they go to Moses, and they're like, Moses, you're the jerk that brought us out of here. You're the one that took us out of Egypt where we had the good life. And they they start to then complain to Moses. 
Sin, if you don't know it or not, it's not only self-deceiving, it kind of works its way through the entire crowd if it's left alone long enough, right? It just kind of permeates the crowd. And so they talk to Moses, right? Now, you would think in the Bible, if you know anything about Moses, you think, man, biblical character, strong faith, big man of God, important guy. You would think that when they talked to Moses, there'd be this honest, just, I hear you. We're going to work through it. Let's pray about it. Let's get this thing together. I'm the pastor of all these thousands and thousands of people. We're going to really work through this. You would think that, that he would have a right reaction. However, you're going to hear his reaction here in verse 10 uh, through 15. Let me just read his reaction. So he's heard all this wailing. He's, word all, he's heard all this wailing. And he says, as Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. Now that would just get annoying. Everywhere you went, you hear, life's so bad. And everywhere you go, you hear it again and again. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses was, keyword, displeased. And we can highlight, circle that. That's a big word. Moses said to the Lord, this is great. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have, why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. The leader has now become the rabble. Moses' reaction is not your typical reaction. He's lost control. He feels as if he's alone in this whole battle. And he says in this statement, a lot of interesting pronouns. If you were to kind of dissect this passage and put some words out in front of it, you would understand that sin is an equal opportunity destroyer. It has worked all the way from Israel, and now it's working on their leader, and Moses is ready to give up. Moses is ticked off. Moses is done with this job. And here's a lot of the pronouns he uses. He says, why have pronoun you brought this evil upon your servant? One, he's blaming God. Why did you do this to me? We've all been there. What have I done to displease you? Why, why are you mad at me? What's, what's the issue here? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Isn't it funny? Whenever we start to get into sin, Here's, here's a really telltale sign of when you know you're probably a little bit unhealthy. When you start to use a lot of I pronouns in a lot of your journaling or writing or, or conversations, and you see that everything is on you, and you start to kind of then have the pity parties that come along with the I, me, my woes, my worries, my concerns, my fear is you may have drifted a little bit into the sin issue because he starts to kind of say all these I and me kind of things. Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised? <laughs> on an oath of their father. This is all like, I'm doing my part. You're not doing any of your part. And then he continues, where can I, again, my person, my, my pronoun, where can I get meat to give all these people? I, that's impossible. Am I supposed to go out and slaughter every sheep that I see? How am I supposed to get meat for all these people? For they weep before me. They don't weep before you, God. You don't hear this. You're too busy. You, can, you, you got things to do. I'm the one hearing all their complaints. I'm the one that has to deal with it. I'm the one that walks by the tent every single day and it's like, oh, my poor lives are falling apart. I have to deal with it. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's my problem. Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And then... 
woe is me, woe is me, sin then gets to the root of every single, really, sin's priority. It gets to sin's priority here where he ends with this verse. This is amazing. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If this is how it's going to go, just take me out now. I'm done. And sin, I'm telling you, sin gets us to some really crazy places in our life to the point where just because of onions and leeks and garlic, Moses is ready to trade it all in and say, I'm ready to end it all. Take me to eternity. I am done with this life. If you treat me like this, kill me now. Everything Moses is saying starts to sound a whole lot like a three and four-year-old. And sin starts to kind of crush and take and take and take and take until Moses, the leader of Israel, is at the point where he says, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. What an amazing thing. Sin always, always blames others and almost always ends with the pity party of me, my poor self, my woes, my concerns. Nobody has it as hard as I have it. Nobody understands the struggles that I have. And and we start to then just believe our own press. We've been self-deceived, and then we allow sin to, to bring us into these pity parties for ourselves. And I love God's response. He hears all this. He hears the complaining from Israel. He hears the complaining from his key leader, Moses. And then in verse 16, this is awesome. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of my spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself. Huh. That is cool. God comes into the picture and says, Moses, I get it. You're, you're, you're overwhelmed. You're stressed out. You're not thinking clearly. Sin is working its way into your life. Let me just tell you to step back, bring 70 men, and I'm going to take that spirit that is on you. I'm going to divide it out. Here's what God's doing. He's not just bringing men in and telling them to do work. He's bringing men in, and he's equipping them with the same spirit he gave Moses. That's awesome. You read later in the story that some of the men, the spirit was just there for the, for the feeding of the people, but then it left. And there's two that still have the spirit, and they start working prophecies and things within the camp, which is really a cool story. And, and all of a sudden, you start to see God saying, I, I know this is too hard for you. You were never supposed to carry this. You have the wrong pronoun, Moses. Your pronoun is not supposed to be I and me. Your pronoun is supposed to be God, 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 you, 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 you are the one who can do this. This is 70 elders that he places over 600,000 people to do the work that Moses felt that he could not do. And so he, he, he does this for them, and he, he, he puts it on the 70 elders. And in verse 18, he says, And say to the people, and this is where you got to love God. This is where you got to love his sense of uh, irony and justice at the same time. Here's God's plan. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. Now, Let's just stop for a second. What do you know about the Old Testament? And what do you know about God? And what do you know about Moses? Where you're kind of like, and God's like, you will eat meat. It's one of those things in the movie where you're kind of like, uh, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy. Something's up. Why would he say you're going to eat meat? And then you find out. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat. Meat. 
and you shall eat. And you're like, oh, well, maybe not. We're still good. He's going to give us meat. We're still good to eat. We're going to have meat. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do this. <clears throat> Therefore, the Lord shall give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not just eat one day or two days or five days or 10 or 20, but a whole month. Awesome. We're going to have months worth of meat until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Ah, oh, there it is. There it is. There's the justice, right? He says, you want meat? I'll give you meat. You're going to get so much of this stuff, you're going to just reject it like you rejected the fish, like you rejected the onions in Egypt, like you rejected the leeks in Egypt, like you rejected the garlic in Egypt. You didn't once complain about garlic in Egypt. You were like, oh, we got to eat garlic in Egypt. Ugh. And they get to the desert. Oh, I just want garlic. They get here. God, we want meat. Just give us what we want. Give us the meat we need. Even meat isn't going to satisfy you. And isn't that sin? It just makes us so dissatisfied with what we have. And God says, I will give you meat until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have, become, and have wept before him saying, why did we leave Egypt? Quit having the pity party. This is going to get worse and better at the same time. And so he says to them, this is going to happen. Then you go down to verse 21 uh, into 22. In 21, Moses says, And the people among whom I number is 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they will eat may, a whole month. He says, How is this going to work? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them? It be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? To get an idea, 600,000 people, uh, there was a 600,000 people who were displaced in Kenya uh, back in 2008 because of some uprisings that happened in Kenya. And most humanitarian aid that was coming into that country for 600,000 said they estimated the need for 600,000 people was about $42 million to feed that many people and to work that into an occasion. So you're saying, God, you're going to work $42 million out of nothing? How that's going to work? And he says, how is this all going to come together that they should have enough to eat? In verse 23, and this is my favorite, this is my favorite. And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? <laughs> I love the visual. Do you have the impression of God in the midst of your life where he's just, he's almost within reach, but he's just out of reach. He just can't quite make it down to you. He's tried but his arm just isn't long enough to reach us. And I think so often we think that. We're like, if God would do something, if he would just intervene, and he says, Moses, you, you left Egypt. Did you not remember the, the river, the sea, the whole you know, crushing Egypt, the whole driving you, the whole manna from heaven every single day? Do you think my hand is too short? Here's the two things I see in that. One, it talks of God's power, and it talks of his ability to provide everything they need, including meat. But here's the other thing I love about that statement. It provides a relational piece of God in the Old Testament that says it is a hand lowered from heaven on a relational scale. Think of a, a shepherd and his sheep where he feeds them out of his hand. That's what God's saying to the Israelites. I'm going to extend my hand down and you're going to eat out of my hand. I care for you that much. I love you that much. Do you not understand that my, short, my hand is not shortened to reach you in your needs? Here's the other thing I know about sin this morning, and that is that sin will oftentimes shrink God and his abilities. We think God can't ever handle this sin. God can't deal with this in my life. God can't reach into this part of my life and fix it. I've tried before, and he just, he, it just can't work. God is telling the Israelites, he's telling Moses, he's telling us today, my hand is not too short. I will do what I said I will do. 
And as we've looked at Israel, you see that they've not only been, discon- they've been inconvenienced by their sin, they've been starting now to identify their sins. They've been able to start to say, the sin is that we haven't trusted God. The sin is that we ha- we've said his hand is, is too short to reach us. Even our leader has said that his hand is too short to kill us or, or to save us. <laughs> Maybe that too, nostrils full of meat. Um, this is how will we do this? And I think of my own life, and I think of times where, where sin has become so rampant in my life, and it's been self-deceiving, and it's, and it's shrunken God's abilities in my life. And I think, man, how do we then deal with this prayer that we started at the very beginning about, God, help us to identify the sin in our life and kill it? How do we identify the damage that it's doing and then start to kill it in us? I want to give you one um, key thing this morning out of Jesus' own life. And uh, hopefully this will be some, some application as we talk about what do we do with sin in our own life. And again, I want us to think as we share these things, I want us to start thinking in terms of habits and not steps. That these become habits for us as a church. Jesus was in the desert in Matthew chapter 4. I'm not going to read the entire story to you, but in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is in the desert and he's tempted by Satan himself um, for 40 days, 40 nights. He's, he's out there on his own and there's a couple things that stand out in this desert scene when it comes to sin. Because the whole time, Satan is trying to get Christ to sin. He's trying to commit, to get the Son of God to be an error. If that works, all of God is destroyed. All of humanity is, is over with because we have nothing to hope in. And so if he can get this to happen, it's going to be great. And so what happens is Jesus has an encounter with him, and he says some things, and we're not going to read all the specifics this morning, but he says some things back to Satan that I think are true in fighting sin. And so here's what I want us to do. As we close out, I want us to think of what are those, those top things in your life that you would categorize as sin? Is it, is it, the, is it the lying in order to have a good reputation? Is it, is it fear, right? That I just, I'm a fearful person. I just, I hate it because it keeps me from obeying God and it, it destroys a lot of things in my life. Is it, is it lust? Is it, is it uh, idolatry? Is it jealousy? I don't know what those things are for you, but we all have stuff in our life that's that constant thing that just dogs us day in and day out. And it's just part of our everyday life. We're like, if I could just get a handle on this, I do it all the time. I find sin in my life all the time. And so how do we deal with it? Well, the first thing Jesus did in dealing with sin is he spoke truth to it, scriptural truth to it, and not just kind of feel-good truth to it, but scriptural, Bible-based truth to it. And the chances are this morning that we may be doing reading plans, and that's great, but My question this morning is, do you have truth to speak to your sins memorized enough that if it comes into your life, you have truth to throw back at it and not just a, man, I got to do better. Man, I got to get better at this. I got to work on it. I got to just, I got to silence it. I got to kill it. I got to stop it. I got to quit doing that thing instead of, do I have scripture memorized Truly, that I can throw at this thing that when it comes up, I can destroy it. So, for instance, pride could be something for you. It's something for me that creeps in every once in a while. Look what I've done. Look at these things that have been accomplished. 
And as I start to think those, as soon as those start to come into my head, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faces and not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. Those come into my head and I start throwing scripture at this thing. And all of a sudden I start to have a truth that is biblical, that is bigger than me, that I throw at this thing of pride to say, this isn't you. There is nothing you do that is anything. It's all Christ in you doing something. So for by grace you have been saved, by grace you have been doing all these kind of things, not, that, not by works that you can boast in anything. Or other ones, it says of Paul that I will boast even more in my weaknesses so that Christ may be glorified in my flesh. I remember those things because it reminds me of the truth to speak at my sin. And here's the thing. I think for many of us, we would love to be able to do that. We've just never taken the the time to memorize. Or maybe you've tried to memorize and you've come come away from it going like, I just can't do it. I've talked to so many people and you're like, you just got to memorize scripture. I have a friend of mine who uh, is down at uh, Cedarville, and he, he says all the time, you just got to memorize Scripture. You just got to memorize. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. And I'm like, I can't. I, I, nobody, and he goes, that's a lie. You, don't, you know how to do it. I'm like, no, I don't. I really don't. He's, just, you know, he's the kind of guy that's in your face, and he's like, you can do it. He's got big hands. You can do it. I'm like, I, I can't. Sorry. You know? And he's like, no, you can't. And the more I start to think about it, I'm like, he's right. The, the, the idea of memorization to throw at our sins is really not at all about our ability to memorize. Anybody can memorize. I mean, good night. I still got songs from like Paw Patrol and like Barney and, and I still got that in my head. Like if that's in there stuck, I'm pretty sure I can get something better than the, bo- the doodle bops in my head, right? That, that can be a better thing in my head than, than my kids shows that I watched when they were little. He says, it's not about the ability to memorize scripture. It's about the priority to memorize scripture. See, any of us can do it. It's not just the ability to do it. It's the priority, and it's the repetition. It's, it's the time of taking, you know what? If it's hard for you, then dedicate a whole month. Instead of doing a reading plan, take a whole month and spend in one verse. I guarantee you, if you spend one month in one verse, you're going to be eating it, drinking it, sleeping. It, the whole thing is just going to come out. Like, they're going to be like, how's your day today? And you're just going to, like, just give off the verse. Like, whoa, I was just asking about dinner. What did you want for dinner? I know, but it was just, I just thought about it. I've just been thinking about it. As you think about it, as you meditate on it, these things start to happen. Memorizing Scripture is speaking truth to the sin. Because here's what I know about you and I know about me this morning. Feelings make amazing followers but terrible leaders. And I think so many of us get carried away by our feelings and not with truth. And we get carried away and we follow our feelings wherever they take us. I'm not feeling up to it. I don't feel like I can memorize scripture. I don't feel like I have any victory in the sin. I don't feel like today's going to be a good day. I don't feel. And the Bible says it's not about feelings. Jeremiah says your heart is wicked and deceitful (laughs) above all things. That's your heart. You can't follow feelings. Feelings make amazing followers, but terrible leaders. Truth leads you and your feelings should follow. Truth should lead feelings, not the other way around. Feelings will give you a thousand false reports and will just add fear to your sin. And I don't want that for any of us. Let me just kind of give you an example. It's hard to be honest with a conversation if you feel afraid of the outcome, right? It's hard for you to speak truth to somebody who needs to hear hard truth if you're afraid, if feelings get in the way and you're afraid to offend them, you're afraid to have the outcome that's negative. It's hard to be accountable to someone if you feel worried that that person will lose all respect for you. It's hard to be accountable to somebody and share all your sins if you feel that person's going to walk away. It's hard for you to have pure thoughts about 
anything in life, and especially in internet usage, if you feel there will be no consequences. Feelings will lie to you every single day of your life. What you need is to speak truth to it. As you speak truth to your lie, the second step in this, the second habit is to call out that lie that your feelings are telling you. So let me phrase it like this. Call out that lie that your feelings maybe aren't telling you. Your feelings are screaming at you. (laughs) And you start figuring out, okay, so what is this lie that I'm believing about my sin and how do I follow it into truth? It's calling out the lie that your feelings are telling you. Let's go back to the conversation of fear, right? I'm afraid of the outcome. You don't know the outcome if you have a hard conversation. You don't know the outcome if it could be good or bad. If you have a hard conversation with somebody, it may just be what they need that day. And they're like, you know what? I needed somebody to kick my tail today. I needed to go forward and not just stay in my sin. I don't know. And in all these things, it's identifying, why didn't I say that? Why did I lie in high school about all these things? The reason I lied was because of the peer pressure, and I wanted to be respected and loved and cared for by these high school guys in my high school. That's what I wanted. I wanted their attention. I wanted their affection. What's the lie? The lie is that they could actually do that. They're high school guys. Let's be honest. There's not much going on up here in high school. And I love you high school, any high school guys. I love you, but let's just be honest. There's just not a whole lot developed yet up here, especially in this front part of the brain. Um, and, and we just kind of, we want attention and affection from the wrong things instead of my attention and my affection are in Jesus. And so if I go back to that, I say, my affection and my, and my attention should be Jesus. I got that. Why do I need to be worried about lying about these things? Fear, lies, all these things are attached to something that continues to tell you the wrong thing. So we need to figure out what those feelings are telling you and identify the lies in our life. Start to identify those things that are causing you these, these, these things to act into sin. And then three, pray that truth and the lie back to God. So let's go back to the high school scenario, right? Knowing my affection and my desire to be wanted as a friend and my desire to be accepted, the lie was that I would never be accepted, I would never be welcomed if I didn't lie about the sports thing, right? That was the lie. The backing of it was true that as I said it, I got respect and it worked. The problem is I never identified both. So the fact is the lie was I didn't really play sports in, on a, a team in, in high school. And, and the truth is my affection was in Jesus alone. So what I should have done, which I didn't do, but I'm doing now is I look at that and I say, God, All my affirmation and all of my good jobs should come from you. I don't want to believe the lies anymore. I want the truth to be all my affirmation for you. So what that happens is on a regular basis then during my day, I can stop and I can, or I can wake up in the morning and say, God, today I want all of the affirmation and all of the the good jobs and all that stuff. I want it to be coming from you and not from other people because I know me and I know I'll have a propensity to sin to get the attaboys. I'll have the propensity to sin to get the good jobs, right? I don't know what it is for you, but we all have these things that will drive us to this point. And my, my challenge is to pray that truth and the lie back to God every single day and just making that a habit so that as we do this, we identify the sin in our life and we start to then kill it. And chances are, if you're like me, you're going to need help doing this. So let me just end with this in Galatians chapter 6. If you're, if you're like me, you're going to need somebody around you to I help you identify those lies and to speak truth as well. And Galatians is a really good example 
of what Jesus did or what God did in Moses in putting the spirit on these 70 elders, Galatians says it like this of the same thing God did back then. Here's what he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Brothers, key word, family, brothers. You can add sisters in there as well. It's fine. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He sins. We all get caught up in it. And the Bible says you're going to need help in it. And if anyone is caught in a sin, then this next step is you who are spiritual, you who have been through it, are to restore them with the spirit of gentleness, not a spirit of condemning and killing and brutally taking them out, but a spirit of gentleness to restore them. And then he says, really key, keep watching yourself as well, lest you too be tempted. Big key, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, he is nothing, he deceives himself. This morning, if you get nothing else out of the morning, I hope that you get this, that we would be a church, that we would pray, God, help me to identify the sins of my life. What are they? Help me to identify what the lie is in that sin? What is the lie that I'm believing? And then after that, how can I pray back both of those things to God himself? Does that make sense? So I want to identify it. I want to speak truth at it. I want to I see what the lie is behind it. And then I want to put scripture and prayer and throw it at this thing that it then continues to be killed in us every single day. That's my hope. That's my prayer for us as a church, that we follow Christ's example in doing that. Let me pray for you this morning as we finish out and then we'll dismiss. God, thank you so much this morning for your word. Um, I know for me, God, this has been a huge challenge um, to actually think about my own life. And so this morning as we close out, here's what I'd like to do instead of uh, closing in a song this morning. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for us just to take the opportunity. And, and God, I just pray that you would reveal what those sins are in our own lives right now. What those things are that just continually dog us. Is it anger? Is it, is, it, is it frustration? Is it, uh, is it idolatry? Is it just, whatever it is, the thing that we just kind of battle against every single day. I pray that you would bring that to our minds this morning. And then, God, I pray in your gracious wisdom, you'd help us to identify what the lie is. I'm always angry because I never get what I want. I'm always angry because my kids always, the, 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 no. God, the lie is that my kids do that, 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 and that because I'm angry. The truth is, God, this morning, that I'm angry because I don't get what I want. The truth of the matter is, God, the the anger comes from a selfishness. And God, I want to kill that in me. And so I'm going to find a verse on selfishness, and I'm going to pray that that verse of selfishness over my my life, and I'm going to continue just to put that truth in there. Whatever it is, God, I pray this morning, We'd make those lists. We'd, we'd identify the lie. And then we would attack it with prayer and with Scripture. God, make us a people who memorize Scripture well. That even as we help people out in our church, we would not just help them out with platitudes and nice things to say. But God, we'd help them out with Scripture and with truth. We wouldn't just say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But we would know truth enough in Scripture to give back to them and say, man, here's what the Bible says. I pray that'd be true for us as a church. God, this morning, however we've come in, I pray that we would leave different. I pray this morning that your word would work this week in our lives and help us to kill sin in us 
And as we do, we rejoice in a God who gives us grace more than we've ever deserved, more than we can ever handle. And I thank you for that. God, we love you. We thank you for being a powerful God who loves to kill sin in us. I pray that you do that more and more as we grow in you. You know, I pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Um, we do, again, have Easter services coming up next week. We are back here on the 14th, and then we have two services, uh, again, on Good Friday and Easter back at the high school. Uh, hope you guys have a great week, and we will see you, Lord willing, next week. So thanks for being here. Have a great week.